thank you for coming to the podcast, and welcome. Top Turtle MMA on Flow Combat is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the best mouthguard on the market if you do a high-impact sport or activity. Listen, if you don't do a high-impact sport or activity... Pay no attention to this. But if you do, I want you to go to sisuguard.com and learn about their next-gen mouth guard. It's the choice of a new generation. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouth guard in your mouth. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Conor McGregor has to say. This mouth guard's not here to take part. It's here to take over. Sisu brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, hey, here's the quick summation. We're two fight fans who like to break down fights, talk to famous fighters, and really just get on with our day. We're not here to waste your time, talk about our day, or our life, or our hair, lollygag and horse around. It's just about fights with us, and we hope you appreciate that. We, of course, are available on Flow Combat, but also TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast is being played and we have a loaded show this week previewing ufc 211 getting to talk to a few fighters along the way gumby what do you say we get right into it let's do it all right well let's start with a little bit of newsy news and uh conor mcgregor jr was born (laughs) sure to be knocking out people and talking shit 20 to 25 years from now what were your thoughts on conor dropping a baby onto the world i I mean there's not much to be said here right like fighters have babies every day what i did think was funny is that sports center covered how many Instagram followers this baby already has. It's something like 17,000 as of this morning. <laughs> the world we live in. And, and no pictures. No pictures on his verified Instagram account. Now, are you hearing any rumors or anything like that, that now that uh, the baby has been born, do you think maybe we get a Connor MMA fight, perhaps, sometime mid-summer, maybe International Fight Week, two, two, two and a half months away, or I, I mean, late July, maybe? I, I've been saying for a while that I, I, I think we're we're going to be have to be waiting on that MMA fight announcement because there's this boxer teaser going over and over again that I'm with Floyd you're saying yeah and I'm still pretty convinced that it's not happening um it it seems like the obstacles keep coming up Floyd keeps like slowly backing his way out of that Floyd doesn't need that fight I don't think it's going to happen. The numbers just won't be right for him because he's going to have to cut in Connor and the UFC. And it's just too, too much stuff. So I think we're going to get a UFC announcement probably towards the end of the year for him. Oh, so you th- you think he would fight at the end of the year I, MMA? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to take a while for this to clear up and be sure that it's not happening. Well, it is interesting because you had Dana White coming out today and saying that they lost their date for the supposed Mayweather-McGregor fight of September 15th, I think it was, because huge and announcement in boxing triple g is going to fight canelo alvarez i thought it was interesting more not so much that they lost the date because obviously they can push it forward another month or what have you um obviously they want to do it in vegas i guess that arena now does have a hockey schedule it's going to have to work around come the fall but that all being said the fact that dana was the one who said we lost the date showing some ownership over the fight i thought was at least interesting unless he's just playing the whole world on this yeah to me that that was another indicator that this fight isn't going to happen. Really? It, it seems like, to me, Dana is is already, like, backpedaling on on what they have. And, and you're right, 100%. I, I didn't think he was the one who had ownership over this anyway, right? Like, he, he made it sound like before he wasn't going to get in Connor's way. Now he's the one booking the fight. We lost the date. You know, like, so is he cut in? Is he not cut in? And again, that's just another indicator to me that this isn't happening. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because there are rumors that maybe Woodley would fight McGregor as he goes for his third belt, 170-pound title, rumors of that Anaheim card, I think it's UFC 214 in late July, but uh, Woodley recently came out and basically said that Damian Mayo was a dummy for accepting the Masvidal fight. He said he should have waited for after the Woodley versus Steven Wonderboy Thompson fight because then Woodley could have just defended this title against Maya, which is what, you know, all the fans wanted to see. Maya then fired back Gumby. He said of Woodley, so it was an unfortunate comment, and I see a pattern in him. He never knows if he wants to be a nice guy or an arrogant guy or a guy who promotes himself or a good guy. He can't go in one direction. End quote. Boom. Damian Maya just perfectly summed up Tyron Woodley. Yeah, and I think, too, that that's sort of what we've gotten from Tyrone Woodley and why he's been so hard to market. Like, he's always talking about how the UFC 
is it marketing him right or is it marketing him properly? And it's mostly, I think, because of what Demian Maia is saying. One day he's like the super nice guy who wants to give somebody a chance for a title shot or wants to. The other day he's a, a punk who who is trying to call everybody out and telling everybody they're dumb. So like, it, it's interesting to me that he that Maya hit it so much on the head. And, and Woodley still hasn't realized that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do wonder, you know, I think what Woodley was saying too, or sorry, what Maya was saying was that he was in a bad position because for all he knew, the Woodley versus Thompson fight was going to be another war, not the boring stall fest that we saw. And it could have put Woodley on the shelf for half a year. Who then might have fought GSP. Or, or Right. And you had GSP lurking around at that time. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I get why it happened, but timing is everything in life. This really should be Maya's title shot. I but agree 100%. here we are. Now, you brought up the name and it was my next bit of news. GSP has released a uh, video on his social media saying he will fight Michael Bisping at any time, dot, 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 after October. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, how, that's such a long wait, and, and if you're Yoel Romero, how pissed off are you right now? I mean, like, you could have fought Bisping a month ago and then still have this fight lined up. Look, I'm a GSP mark from way back. He's my favorite fighter of all time, but this is not on him. This is on the UFC. Oh, it's 100% on the UFC. And William Morris Endeavors Management. First, they announced this at a press conference for the first time ever without a date even set. Second of all, Bisping is not like the division standard and flag bearer of years. He's a guy who most people think got lucky because Luke Rockle didn't keep his hand up in front of his chin and took him too lightly, who then had one title defense against a guy who goddamn do I freaking love, but is 45 years old and it, was on his way not, out. It's not a number one contender. It wasn't a number one contender, even though I wanted to see that fight. Oh, Don't get I me wrong. Too. But that all being said, this is a mess. This is one of the UFC's better, stronger, deeper divisions. And now this GSP fight has not only held up the entire division, and now he's making us wait even longer, but you have guys like Yoel Romero, Robert Whitaker, former champions like uh, Rockhold. Rockhold, and then, yeah, Weidman's on a three-fight losing streak. But How about Jacare if he was healthy? I mean, like, Jacare could have taken that fight with Bisping, too. He's like a Damian Maya in that he got the worst end of this yeah, whole situation. Absolutely. And the other guy you have to think about, too, is rising stars like um, Gastelum. Yeah, uh, Calvin Gastelum, maybe Johnny Hendricks. Had he beaten Silva, he would have been right there. The whole division got held up for this and let's face it gsp he's never even fought at middleweight why is gsp not fighting for the welterweight title his title it's because of that belly that we saw in that video <laughs> hey let's keep it above the belt here uh but anyway i think we agree that this whole thing has gotten it, it's a, a mess a little ridiculous all right well that kind of wraps up the news for this week a little light on news you know there hasn't been a ufc in a couple of weeks but guess what there is some news being made about a potential fight with chris cyborg and one megan anderson and that's an exciting fight. Everyone can agree. Obviously, the division's in a bit of a it's a bit of a mess right now. Women's featherweight. There are only two fighters in it. Uh, Megan Anderson isn't even signed to it. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Hear from her. We got a chance to interview Megan Anderson, and she tried to break down the uh, confusion that is the UFC featherweight division. This interview is, of course, brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp, and if you're uninformed, hemp is like a trillion times stronger than cotton head on over to their website dsgear.com check out their fight shorts i roll in them all the time they're my favorite pair of fight shorts super durable antimicrobial and if you're a gi player they make hemp gis that the reviews say are absolutely awesome i cannot say i've tried them because i'm not a gi guy but they look pretty damn badass if you ask me that's dsgear.com enter in promo code top turtle Get yourself a nice little discount. All one word, not case sensitive. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Megan Anderson. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte with Top Turtle MMA. And we have the pleasure of speaking to Invicta's featherweight champion, Megan Anderson. Megan, since the last time we spoke, the UFC has brought the 145-pound division out, uh, had a very controversial title fight to kick it off. What were your thoughts on the initial fight of the featherweight division? I questioned it a little. Um, I think it was very exciting that they brought in the fight, uh, but I was a little skeptical on the choice. You know, uh, both Jermaine and Holly uh, have been known to be bantamweights, you know, fighting at 135. So um, 
I, I really was surprised that they weren't going to wait for Chris. So, yeah, I, I was a little, I was a little questionable at first. Yeah, and and I think you you hit the nail right on the head there, saying you know you have two fighters in that division to start that are both bantamweights. So you're not waiting for the only other featherweight fighter signed. Is is it odd to you that they're not trying to fill up this division in the meantime to at least build contenders? Oh yeah, um, it's it's definitely um, weird <laughs> to say the least. Um, I'm, it's definitely something that I'm, you know, it, it really makes you question if they're actually committed to the division. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And especially with the news coming out that they've opened up casting for an 125-pound division uh, ultimate fighter, even though uh, they're, they're a little non-committal on that. Um, but do you think it would have been wise to start the 145-pound division that way too? Or do you think just signing people probably would have been the better way to go? Um, I think both. Uh, that's what they did with the strawweight division. They picked up the girls for the for the Ultimate Fighter show, but they were also independently signing athletes. So, you know, I th- I think I think they just need to start signing people at 145. It'll really show whether they're committed to the division or not. Yeah, I mean, here's the million dollar question, Megan. I guess, what do you think has been the holdup? I mean, at this point, they literally have a champion in Jermaine Durandamy and Cyborg signed. Holly has a fight back at 135. If you had to just guess, wild ideas, conspiracy theory, what has been the holdup to fill out this division? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, it's I really don't know, and it's sad that they're not really committing, um, you know, and, uh, you know, Dana White came out uh, recently and said that they're going to make an announcement on the 145 division, and I really think that they need to do that soon and and, and give some clarity on what's going on. Well, agreed on everything you just said, and in the meantime, it actually, there is a fight that fans are excited about, and that's you versus Cyborg as a potential 145-pound fight maybe that's for an interim title with everything going on with Jermaine but you know you were uh featured on the MMA hour this past week and Cyborg called in you guys had sort of an impromptu mini face-off well looking back on that now what was your thoughts on her calling in um I didn't know what was happening but I really would be surprised if Ariel did set that up it's very Ariel like um (laughs) so I, I, I don't really care it doesn't really bother me you know, we're going to fight eventually. Why not now? Now, this is a... Uh, God, I, I'm going to try to phrase this carefully. Jermaine Durandamy apparently is going through uh, personal issues, and we obviously want to take her at her word with that, but does part of you, and this is something maybe in the darkest corners of the internet people speculate on, does part of you think that she maybe is just trying to avoid Cyborg, as many uh, girls have in the past? Yeah, there is a... Like, um... There is a, a part of me that thinks that, but uh, I feel like there are different ways to go about that. You know, like a lot of girls in the past have, you know, gone to a different promotion, like Bellator, for example. You know, so uh, there are different, less obvious ways to do that. So I really do think that there is something going on with her. Um and, you know, I don't know if she's allowed to talk about that or not. And I think, again, she needs to come out and clarify some things. Yeah, I, I agree 100% that the real word here is clarity. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. We just need to know what's happening. Um, one thing that we know is happening is you are not backing down from a matchup with Cyborg Santos or uh, Cyborg Justiano, <laughs> rather. And uh, so... You know, you are probably one of the boldest fighters out there going after a fighter that nobody wants a piece of. What do you just like about that matchup with Cyborg so much? And where do you think you hold the advantage? Um, I think this is a really good matchup. Uh, we're both strikers. Uh, you know, everyone loves a good striking fight. Um, and we're both explosive. We're both powerful. You know, I have the size and reach advantage. Um and I think that's going to really play to my advantage. Absolutely. And uh, there, there's very few fighters in the past who have fought her that do have that reach advantage. Um, what do you think about working on the ground with her? You know, so many of her fights haven't gone to the ground. Um, how do you feel that you stack up with her there? Um, I think people 
you know, people judge my ground game off my fight with Cindy Dandwar and, you know, that was a long time ago. It was almost two years ago now. Um, a lot can change in two years. You know, you can see from that fight to now that my striking has definitely changed and improved. So, you know, you would think that my ground game would improve as well. So I think people really underestimate me on the ground and, uh, you know, I'm not worried. And it's, it's certainly a matchup we all want to see. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit because I'm sure you're, you're sick of the sa- or, uh, cyborg talk over and over and over again. Um, James Krause, your uh, you know, training partner, trainer, uh, was just on The Ultimate Fighter. He's going to be on this week with his fight. Uh, what was it like training with him away, and are you excited to see him fight on the show this week? Yeah, I'm excited to, to see him fight this week on the show. Um, uh, I think this experience was great for James, and uh, you know he's he's said multiple times that it's really changed his perspective and changed his life. So I think I think we're gonna all get to know a little bit more about James. <laughs> and uh, was was it weird when he decided to go into the Ultimate Fighter house because you know he was one of the. I, I think actually the only fighter who agreed to go into the Ultimate Fighter house that was already on contract was it surprising when he told you he was going in? Um, it was a little weird, uh, just for the fact that you know the Ultimate Fighter. The show is really based around um, giving people who aren't in the UFC the opportunity to get in the UFC. You know, so it was a little weird because he uh, is already there, um, but you know he has unfinished business. You know, he he thought uh, he was a really top prospect when he was going into uh, season fifteen. And unfortunately, didn't get in, and, and he has a lot to prove to himself and a lot to prove to the show. So I think it's really great for him to be able to go in there and and really finish this uh, this business he has with with the Ultimate Fighter. Absolutely, and I'd actually say uh, this season is one of the better ones in recent <laughs> memory. So I, I think it could be good for for any of the fighters who come out, you know, uh, looking good in in the tournament itself. Uh, wanted to talk to you, obviously, being from Australia. Uh, there is a fighter in the UFC, Robert Whitaker, right now, who's kind of become that flag bearer for Australian MMA. Coming off, you know, biggest win of his career over Jacare Souza uh, as an underdog. How happy are you for him? And and do you feel this is a good thing? As it, do you feel it kind of pushes Australian MMA forward? Um, I think it does. I'm a big Robert Whitaker fan. I have been for a very long time, and uh, I was I was actually uh, there at the fights when he fought Jacare, and uh, I'm pretty sure I was the only, like everyone counted him out. I was the only one standing. <laughs> in our section when he, he got the finish. Uh, so it was very exciting. But, you know, uh, I think he is kind of taking on the flag bearer for Australian in MMA. But, uh, you know, I was the first ever Australian world champion. So people discredit that. People don't really give that uh, the credit that I feel like that I've worked hard for. So I think people are, are counting me out too. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Megan, as as it comes to this whole cyborg talk and, and everything else, what, you know, just wrapping up here, what is your wish for what's the ideal best next step for Megan Anderson in your career? You're hoping for the cyborg fight. You're hoping just for a 145 pound division and, and any fight. What is, in your ideal world, what happens here? I honestly don't care. Um, I would like the the UFC to commit to a 145 pound division and start signing featherweights, um, and you know we loved the cyborg fight, so uh, really uh, it's on the UFC now. They know how we feel. You know, obviously from um, my interview with Ariel on the MMA Hour, so everyone kind of knows how both Chris and I feel about this. So it's really up to the UFC now, and if they don't want to match the two best featherweights in the world, then there's something wrong. Boom. Well, I don't think anything else needs to be said. Megan, we, we can't thank you enough for the time, and we wish you the best of luck with, with whatever happens here. No problem. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. All right, there you have it, Megan Anderson. Yeah, I, I love the way when she was doing that interview, she she focused mostly on just wanting clarity. She doesn't even really give a shit what happens. I mean, she wants the cyborg fight. She wants 145 pounds in the UFC, but more than anything, she just wants to know, are they going to do it or not? Because if not, she'll focus on Invicta and fighting cyborg there. 
Yep, agreed. We need some clarity, I think, was the main takeaway from that interview. All right, let's turn our attention now, something we do have some clarity on, and that's UFC 211, which is like the pay-per-view card we've been waiting for, really, to be quite honest, since like UFC 205. I was going to say all year. I've been waiting for this one all year. Absolutely. And uh, it's a stacked card, and we'll go over the main card right now. Let's start from the top and work our way up to the main event. Uh, You have kicking off the UFC pay-per-view from Dallas, Texas, UFC 211, Henry Cejudo versus Sergi. Pettis, very big matchup at UFC in the UFC flyweight division. Now, Sergio Pettis, the brother of one Anthony Pettis, is on a three-fight win streak. Beat Chris Cariasso, beat Chris Kalaitis, beat John Moraga, all by decision, all by unanimous decision. Henry Cejudo, the one-time title challenger, is on a two-fight losing streak, albeit to the top two fighters in the division. He lost to Demetrius Johnson last April via TKO, knees and punches, then lost to Joseph Benavidez via decision. It was a split decision. Some people thought Cejudo won it. He was deducted one point in the round due to a repeated low blow. That all being said, you have Cejudo versus Pettis here, Gumby. Who you got? You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Sergio Pettis fan. I really like the way Pettis fights. I like the way he moves, especially now that he's back at uh, flyweight. You know, he was at bantamweight there for a little while, and he's clearly oversized at bantamweight. But the, the worry I just have here is that I just don't think Pettis's grappling defense is good enough to keep Cejudo off. If Cejudo is stupid enough to stand and trade with Sergio... This becomes a lot closer to a 50-50 fight. But in the meantime, you got Sergio Pettis, who, if you look back at who he's fought, has he fought a lot of killer grapplers? No. No, not at all. And even with that, you know, a quick look at fight metric stats, he's only defended about 70% of the takedown attempts on him, which means one out of every four takedown attempts is falling on Sergio Pettis. And Sergio is now fighting the greatest grappler he's ever fought. You have to assume he's going to spend a lot of time on his back. Cejudo, not the type of guy you're going to sub off your back. Cejudo, in most sports books, about a minus 400 favorite. Sergio, you could get anywhere from plus 315 to as high as a plus 350 dog. Now, the second fight on this card is fucking unbelievable, and it should be headlining a, a pay-per-view not a pay-per-view but at least a fight night at least fs1 fs1 and it should be a five-round fight but that being said we have frankie edgar taking surging featherweight prospect yair rodriguez yair rodriguez is five nope make that six and oh in the ufc he most recently just murdered the legend bj penn back in january very fun fight last summer with alex caceres he won by split decision and then of course the the highlight reel flying head kick to andre feely last april that just made the ufc marketing team cream their jeans yair rodriguez is on an absolute tear frankie edgar the legend the hopefully future hall of famer is two and one in his last three. He beat Chad Mendez via KO December of 2015, then lost by unanimous decision to Jose Aldo in July of last year, came back with a unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens in November of 2016. Gumby, your thoughts? Ah, To me, this plays out just like Sergio Pettis, Henry Cejudo, right? Like if, Frankie Edgar is silly enough to stand and trade with one of the most electric strikers we've ever seen in our our time. He might lose this fight, right? Ooh, I'm going to disagree with you there. You think Frankie wins on the feet in this one? I think Frankie absolutely could win on the feet. I think Yair's striking is can get reckless, wild. I think Frankie has phenomenal striking. I, I think he does too. Don't get don't get me wrong. I definitely think he does too. But in that reckless striking, do you feel it's more likely that Frankie tags him? Or do you feel it's more likely that in the middle of a spinning kick, Frankie gets a body lock from behind and drags him to the ground? I think that is more likely that Frankie does take this to the ground, yes. Okay, but you really do think Frankie could win this in a striking battle? I absolutely Would you do. give him a better than 50-50 shot to win in a striking battle? Uh, I think it's 50-50. I, I, I don't think Yair Rodriguez is that much of a better striker than Frankie Edgar. I think Yair Rodriguez is much more of a flashier striker than Frankie Edgar. But let's not forget the fact that Frankie Edgar knocked out Chad Mendez within about 20 seconds. I mean, Steroid listen, Chad Mendez. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Aldo looked like the Aldo of old last summer. Um, I've never seen Frankie frustrated before like that. Could Yair pull off such a performance working backwards off his feet as Frankie tries to come in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
listen, this is what that makes this matchup so freaking awesome. I see a number of different ways it plays out, and I wish it was five rounds. That being said, I think if it was five rounds, advantage Edgar. Oh, I, I think that's where you would see the, the Frankie striking advantage is that I think third, fourth, fifth round striking mm-hmm. advantage because Yair is flashy, but like we saw with Connor versus Nate, a lot of wasted energy. Right. A lot of wasted energy. So if he wasted all that energy, would Frankie definitely tool him in three, four, and five? Absolutely. Here, I think one and two striking-wise, the unconventionalness of it could, I mean, could lend him a couple of rounds early. Well, let me also say this. Yair Rodriguez, and we've talked about this on this show, Yair Rodriguez is very comfortable working off his back. As a Jits guy, I love to see it. Don't get me wrong. I'll watch a Yair Rodriguez fight all day. Not good for the judges, though. Not good for the judges, though. Frankie Edgar knows this. He's a veteran. So in this three-round fight, which, let's face it, probably could go to decision, um, you know, it, it, maybe a judge sees it one way for Frankie, even though Yair is being active off his back. Mm-hmm. Listen, the the Vegas has this right on the money here. Frankie, a minus 130 favorite. Yair, a very slight underdog at plus 110. Yeah, and I, I think that's right on too, because uh, like, like we said, it depends on where it takes place. All right, now third from the top, you have another sick fight. We already did a little talking about him earlier. Damian Maya accepted a fight with surging welterweight Jorge Masvidal. Maya has been nothing short of incredible. He is on a six-fight win streak at 170 pounds. We'll go back three. He made Gunnar Nelson look silly. Unanimous decision win, December of 2015. Rear naked choked Matt Brown uh, last May, and then rear naked choke on Carlos Condit last August. Uh, this really should be Damian Maia's title shot, but in steps Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal is on a three-fight win streak. Beat Ross Pearson via unanimous decision. TKO Jake Ellenberger, and then TKO Donald Cerrone this past January. Who you got? I'm going to go with uh, pretty much exactly what Lorenz Larkin said when we talked to him uh, two weeks ago. I just think in this case, Jorge Masvidal is the same guy we saw back when he fought Lorenz Larkin. I don't think he's different. He's still a phenomenal striker, but he has nowhere near the grappling chops of Demi and Maya. And I think because he knocked out Cowboy, everybody's super high on him. And if I'm not mistaken, right now, you can get Demi and Maya as an underdog if you go to your sports books right now. Cash in on that immediately because this is the fight where Demi and Maya is going to use one of his trips. And as soon as Jorge Masvidal is down, he's submitted. It looks like Carlos Condit versus Demi and Maya too right here. I love the way you put that. Yeah, absolutely. You could get Maya anywhere from a minus 105 dog all the way up to a plus 108. Uh, sorry, a minus 105 favorite all the way up to a plus 108 dog. Masvidal is anywhere from as low as a minus 115 favorite to some sports books having him as a minus 135 favorite. And, and that's, so, like I said, so inflated from the Cowboy fight. All right, we have a title fight. We two have two of them. The first of two, thank you. This is for the women's strawweight belt. You have Joanna Yanjechek, uh, who is, quite frankly, the best striker, or best Muay Thai striker, I should say, in the UFC right now. Her striking is on point, and since winning the belt, she has defended it four times. She won it against Carla Esparza, then TKO Jessica Penne, got a unanimous decision win over Valerie Letourneau, a unanimous decision win over Claudia Gadelia. And then a unanimous decision over Carolina Kowalkowicz, though I will say towards the later rounds, I started to get a little worried for JJ in that Carolina fight. If I recall, I think Carolina won the fourth round. That being said, uh, she is a dominant champion. Jessica Andrade on a three fight win streak. Beat Jessica Penne via TKO back in June of 2016. Came back a few months later and subbed Joanna Calderwood with a guillotine choke. And then this past February, defeated Angela Hill via unanimous decision. So on a three-fight winning streak, going up against the uh, dominant champion of the division, Gumby, your thoughts? My thoughts are Jessica Andrade has looked amazing as of late, right? Like, there's no doubt about how good she's looked. But the... The reason to me she's looked so good is she has fought a lot of women who stand in front of her. And she throws big power punches at women who stand in front of her. You know, Angela Hill, she was either standing in front of her or trapped against the cage in front of her. And, and to me, the difference between the women that Andrade has fought and Joanna Jan Jacek is Jan Jacek moves so well. Her footwork's good. She's never in front of you. She cuts angles better than almost anybody Anyone. in the UFC. 
And and to me, that's the difference in this fight is that Andrade winds up throwing a lot of power punches that don't land. In there, anybody who boxes will tell you that that's one of the most tiring things you can do is throw a power punch that hits nothing. Yeah, and she's gonna throw a lot that hit nothing. So you're picking Joanna. I'm picking Joanna. I don't think she finishes Andrade, but I would be very interested to see how Andrade deals with a fourth or fifth round with somebody who swarms like Jan Jacek does when there's blood in the water. The way I see the win for Andrade in my head would be uh, early in the fight, rounds one or two. She knocks her down and then maybe sinks in a sub, something like that. Um, I don't know that she would necessarily knock her out clean. That all being said, Andrade, a plus 140 dog. Joanna, a minus 160 favorite. All right, and that moves us to our main event. It's a rematch of a great fight. Uh, Stipe versus Junior Dos Santos, part de. Uh, in their first fight, Junior Dos Santos uh, won via a split decision. But a lot of people thought it went to Stipe. You should go back and watch it. It was a war of a fight. And excuse me, it was actually a unanimous decision. So uh, Junior Dos Santos beat Stipe back in December of 2014 via unanimous decision. Came back and lost to All-Star Overeem in December of 2015 via TKO. And then last year in April, came back and got a unanimous decision win over Ben Rothwell. Stipe Miocic, the heavyweight champion. He is on a absolute tear, a four-fight win streak. Uh, beat the heck out of Mark Hunt then beat Andre Arlovsky via TKO, and then last May won the heavyweight title by knocking out Fabricio Verdum. He's defended it once, knocking out Alistair Overeem. What a run he's on. He's beaten Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovsky, Fabricio Verdum, and Alistair Overeem. I mean, that's a who's who of the heavyweight division. Who you got? So uh, this fight goes so well with the other fights on the main card. I I feel like they couldn't have put this fight card together any better just because of like the style make matchups. This one is two guys who, when they boxed the last time they fought, it was razor close, right? Mm-hmm. I had it for Miochik. I had friends who had it for JDS, and I completely understand why they would have it for JDS too. Um, but at that same time, this fight might not come down to a boxing match, right? They're two amazing boxers. You know, JDS, some of the best boxing in the heavyweight division. Stipe, a Golden Gloves guy. At the same time, Stipe could turn this into a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the first time JDS fought Cain Velasquez, and then look at the second and third. People learn from having boxed with JDS. If you've got that wrestling to roll back on, you can use it. And look what he did to, to Alistair Overeem. When he fought Alistair Overeem, took him down, knocked him out from guard. You're talking you, about Stipe. Stipe, yeah. yeah. And I just think if you take Stipe and he, he starts to implement some of that takedown, I think that this is a, a one-sided fight. In that case, if he chooses to box with JDS, I like JDS in this one. Really? Yeah, I like JDS's boxing over Stipe's. Okay. Absolutely. Got yeah. I, I am absolutely on Team Stipe here. I think he's going to win this. Uh, it, like what you said, pressure up against the cage, wrestle him, not just straight box. But even from a cardio standpoint, I just feel like Stipe is peaking as we're going into the last days of Junior Dos Santos. Dos Santos is a plus 115 dog. You can get Stipe as a minus 135 favorite. Great fight nonetheless. And you know what? We had a chance to talk to another U.S. UFC heavyweight about this, so we'll give you his opinions on it right now. Of course, the interview with Justin Ledette is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. Check out their fight gear made of hemp. You will not be sorry. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Justin Ledette. We have the pleasure of talking to Justin Ledette, who, while he doesn't have a fight currently planned, was recently cleared of the USADA suspension uh, for wrongly testing positive. So, Justin, obviously, we just talked to you uh, before your last fight was uh, canceled in January. So let's let's talk timeline since then. In February, you were notified of a test violation. How did they let you know? And obviously, what was your first reaction to it? Uh, really, the first way I found out was uh, the internet, man. Uh, and then uh, I saw like the internet uh, page about it. I was like, man, these these people gotta be lying. And then I checked my email right after that, and you know, Usada had emailed me and notified me and everything. So, and, and obviously, knowing that you were clean all along and that you've you've never taken uh, illegal substances, your your first reaction to all of that after getting that email. Uh, had to have been, what was it, rage or, or just confusion? Definitely more so confusion. I thought it kind of like, I thought it was a joke, like, you know, confused, 
And then, like, after it really set in, like, I think it really set in, like, a week later, and I was like, man, I cannot believe this shit. Like, then it went to, like, frustration and everything, you know? Absolutely. So we spoke a little bit to Tim Means last year. Uh, he had a very similar situation to you where he had some tainted supplements. Uh, USADA helped him clear his name. He told us uh, during an interview that USADA was very helpful throughout the process. Was this the case with you as well, or was it? did you feel like you were more fighting them on the, the case? Nah, man. Uh, USADA did a wonderful job. I was actually very impressed with the way that they handled the whole situation because that was one of the things when I got notified, too. I was nervous about how long is this going to take to get this cleared up because I know that, you know, I, I didn't know what was really going on because at the time, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, I tested positive, but I only, I only take a multivitamin and then a joint supplement. So I'm thinking, well, it has to be one of them. But at the same time, that's like, that's crazy talk. Why would it be in something like that? So, yeah, then, uh, you know, and then they didn't pass any judgment on me. They asked me, you know, you know what I think it was. And I was like, man, it has to be one of my supplements. And they let me uh, turn those in. And they had it tested within a couple of weeks. So, man, it really, uh, they really handled it very well. Well, that's just awesome to hear because, you know, we've heard some some really uh, tough words about USADA, people being very angry about it. But um, at the same token, it's just so great to hear that they're working with the fighters that are indeed clean uh, to help clear their name. Let, let's talk a little bit about how it affected your training, because uh, obviously your headspace is in a weird place. Uh, you're being falsely accused. You have no idea when your next fight, your next paycheck is going to come. Uh, how did this process, did you feel, affect your training, knowing that you, you couldn't possibly know your next fight date? Uh, it, it definitely put me in a depression-type state, especially, like, with the injury. So not only, you know, I was doing my rehab, but, you know, my coaches and stuff, they still want me to kind of be in shape, you know, lift weights, upper body as much as I can. But I, with all that going on, it was just too much to handle. I kind of just got into a depressed state. And really kind of didn't snap out of it until, you know, uh, here recently when everything, you know, the truth has finally came out and everybody knows that, I, hey, I'm a clean athlete now. I'm kind of like over it and everything because, man, I even came home. I told my girlfriend to, like, pull my posters off the wall. Like, don't <laughs> don't wear, like, my fight kit out, outside. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it was it was the disappointment in myself even because, you know, I that's something that I pride myself in. And to have this happen to me, it just – it didn't seem fair, you know. A- absolutely. So it, you are uh, you're two and zero in the UFC, and, and with two very very impressive performances. Obviously, uh, with the injuries and the, and the finishing up the suspension, uh, is going to to keep you out of the cage for a little bit. But how soon are you ready to get back in that cage? Uh, man, I'm, we're looking forward to somewhere around like September, October, uh, on a realistic time frame. Uh, definitely. Uh, didn't want that to happen you know we was looking forward to this year you know rocking out like you know four or five fights but you know with the injury we just got to take what uh what we can get and right now we're looking towards uh september um and that's probably the like the quickest i could probably get back in there yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, too. Now, you were supposed to, uh, back in January, fight Dmitry Sosnovsky um, before all of this went down. Is that still a fight you want, or are you looking elsewhere for when you do make your comeback? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't really care. It doesn't really bother me who I fight or whatever, you know. It's just uh, about getting back in there and getting another paycheck, you know. Absolutely. Now, the last time you were on, Justin, you did a superb breakdown of what would happen if Conor McGregor boxes Floyd Mayweather. So I do want to ask you for another Justin breakdown, this time on the heavyweight title fight coming up in the UFC. You have Stipe and Junior Dos Santos, two guys pretty well known for their striking, for their boxing prowess. I know you have the boxing background. What do you make of that fight? Man, I mean, their first fight was an amazing fight. Amazing. That was yeah, that was probably one of the top fights that year. I mean, Tipe uh, came out strong out the gate and uh, kind of lost a little bit of juice, and then Delonto kind of caught his footing and finished off the fight. Uh, it was a really good fight, and I plan on it either being the same or getting finished quickly. Uh, I thought Tipe did an awesome job in his last fight on the Alistair Overeem where he took him down and knocked him out. Like, that was awesome. and That was really the first time we had kind of seen Tipe's grappling, and it, it looked really well, so... Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. It should be a slugfest. Uh, as, far, as far as who I think is going to win or how it's going to go, man, I think it's really a really close 50-50 up in the air. You know, you uh, you, you pick them kind of fight. 
Absolutely. I agree with that a thousand percent. And the other thing I wanted to ask you was this heavyweight division, it's at an interesting place right now. You have some older fighters uh, who are, you know, probably more than likely on their way out. You had Mir was suspended for, you know, whatever he was suspended for, an USADA violation for two years. Being his age, we might not never see Frank Mir again. Ditto for Josh Barnett. You get the feeling that someone like Andre Arlovsky has a foot out the door. Mark Hunt, probably not in it for the long haul. But then you have some young up-and-comers like a Francis Naganu, everyone's very hyped on, or a Derek Lewis. What do you make of the heavyweight division right now, and where do you see yourself fitting into it? Uh, it's It's... I wouldn't say it's in a rebuilding process, but it's in a different kind of phase right now. Uh, it just depends how, like, uh, the UFC wants to, uh, to promote the up-and-coming fighters. That's what I feel it really determines. Because, I mean, the UFC, as far as promotion, I mean, they're a machine. If they want to get behind you and you're one of their stars, I mean, people are going to hear about you. They're going to come watch your fights, you know. But then again, you got sometimes where the UFC doesn't get behind, you know, everybody that is good. So, it just kind of depends on how the business marketing uh, goes with the heavyweight division. Like you said, you do got a couple of guys that are like turning some heads and Ganu, Derek Lewis, and, you know, hopefully they can keep on putting uh, good fights on and hopefully, you know, I can get a fight with either one of them or anybody else in the top 10, top 15, whatever. Absolutely. And I think one other thing, and we, we talked about this recently on the show, is that it, there aren't a lot of, you know, standout, like, grappler, wrestler types anymore in the heavyweight division. It, it's kind of, you know, really, other than Kane, who's been very injured, it's just a stand and bang and let's see what you got kind of thing right now. And, and that's kind of always fun for the fans, you know? Oh, yeah, that's very good. I mean, the heavyweight division should always, and it's good that it's really kind of coming into that, too. Uh, I think uh, as far as striking goes, all throughout the weight class in the uh, UFC, you see just uh, more development, more diverse, just with the kick, bringing it, you know, trickle up to this heavyweight division. And that's when you're going to see some real crazy knockouts at the heavyweight division. Just like when Verdun was coming out uh, against Travis Brown with that jump sidekick. Yes. You know, and different things like that. So. Very, very exciting uh, to be in the heavyweight division and see it really come together and be what I think it should be, you know, a stand-up slugfest, uh, you know, knock someone out or get knocked out, you know, type of fight. So that's really good to see. It's so funny you say that. It's the evolution of the sport, right? I was actually watching an old uh, best of UFC knockouts the other day. It was like not <laughs> number two or three, and it was all from like the early 2000s. And I was just like, wow, the striking has gotten so much better here in 2017, you know, 10, oh, 15 sure. years later. It's it's crazy when you go back and watch it. Um, well, anyway, Justin, we, we were so happy we got a chance just to catch up with you. Congratulations on clearing your name. We know that must have been an annoyance, but, um, you know, all is right. And uh, when you get another fight book, let, let's definitely talk again down the road, okay? Hell yeah, sounds good, man. I appreciate you. All right, Gumby, there you have it. Justin Ledette. Yeah, one of my favorite guys to interview because in addition to getting a little bit of insight on his career all the time, you know, we got the USADA stuff this time. Uh, he also always gives like an amazing boxing breakdown. You know, he did Miochik and JDS for us this time. Uh, last time he did Mayweather McGregor for us. I, I mean, just a guy we could have in to analyze fights for us. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we will turn our attention now to the prelims, the prelims of UFC 211 and make note fans that's on FX. It's not on FS1. Must have been a baseball game or something. I don't know. I just know it's on FX according to Wikipedia. Kicking off the prelims on FX, you have James Vick, the Texecutioner, a minus 400 favorite, taking on Marco Polos Reyes, a plus 310 dog. What say you? So I, I think that those odds are right on line. I mean, think about what James Vick has done since coming into the UFC. I mean, he submitted Jake Matthews, who is a prospect I'm super high on. And last time out, he Doris choked Abel, Abel Trujillo. Not once, but twice before he got the tap um, and just did it in sick fashion. And to me, Polo Reyes, really, really good boxer Okay, with the, the Mexican roots. He had a great boxing match with Taruta Ishihara, but nowhere near the level of grappling is, is James Vick. So I think James Vick submits him here. Boom. Uh, a middleweight offering. You have David Branch, a plus 150 dog, taking on Christoph Jocko, the minus 180 favorite. I'm huge on Dave Branch coming back from World Series of Fighting. This guy was their middleweight and their light heavyweight champ simultaneously. And to me, his wrestling is just... Uh, 
it's taken to a new level since he's left the UFC last time. Um, and Jocko, a top 15 guy in the middleweight division, but I don't think he holds up against the wrestling of Branch. I think Branch smothers him. All right, and this is, quote-unquote, the main event of the prelims. This is going to lead right into the pay-per-view, and what a freaking matchup. You have Dustin Poirier, minus 115, taking on former lightweight champ Eddie Alvarez, coming off that devastating loss to Conor McGregor. You can also get him as a minus 105. What do you think here? So I, I kind of feel the same way as I feel about Branch here. Is Poirier just seems like a new fighter since coming back to, to lightweight, right? Like, the only setback he's had since lightweight was he got clipped by Michael Johnson. And right. Michael Johnson clipped him. No shame in that. But this is a guy who'd be, you know, uh, Joe Duffy, Bobby Green, and then he just took it to Jim Miller, too. And to me, I, I just think his game is more well-rounded right now. And we've seen... What happens when Conor McGregor breaks a guy once or twice, right? And and it changes you. And it will be interesting to see how, how Eddie Alvarez bounces back. But I like Poye in this one just because I think he's a new animal at 55. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. what Which Alvarez is showing up? Is this like a Chad Mendez effect where McGregor just destroyed his chin? Yeah, and that, that's mostly what I mean too, right? Like once, once somebody hits you like that, are, are you ever the same? And, and to me... I mean, he. I don't think he's going to be. I, I think this is a, a trap fight for him because Poye, not the biggest name in MMA, right? He went from fighting the biggest name to a guy who barely has a, a large following at all, you know, in Poye. You're right. You it, There were so many rumors, like it could have been Eddie versus, let's say, Nate Diaz. Yeah. Or maybe could Eddie have come out of the shadows and fought uh, Tony Ferguson after Nurmagomedov went down with a bout of tiramisu almost killing him or whatever that was. So, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a trap fight. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, the highest profile fight in the world to... FX prelims before a pay-per-view. It's got to be somewhat of a letdown, I have to say. Call that a fall from grace. All right. Well, the other very exciting fight on these prelims is Chaz Skelly versus Jason Knight at Featherweight. And before we break that down, or in lieu of us breaking it down, let's hear from Jason Knight himself. We got a chance to catch up with him, and I want to play that uh, interview for you right now. Brought to you, as always, by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. Check out Fight Gear Made of Hemp. You will not be disappointed. Super durable, antimicrobial. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC featherweight Jason Knight. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte with Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow Combat. We are speaking with Jason the Kid Knight who fights Chaz Skelly at UFC 211 this weekend. So after his last win, your opponent Chaz Skelly called for this fight saying that there was only room for one hillbilly in the 145-pound trailer park. Uh, when you heard that, what was your original reaction to that unique call-out? Ah, uh, shit, I'm... I'm ready to go at all times. Uh, I, I don't know if he called me out or not. I, I know that uh, he did an interview or whatever uh, after the fight was already booked and said something like that. But, yeah, man, uh, I, asked, I asked for this fight as well because I, I was wanting to fight in Dallas so that way my family can come. You know, it's close enough for my family to drive. And, you know, my whole family, they don't really have the money to jump on a plane every time I fight. So uh, this is something close enough for him to drive. So I asked him to give me a fight in Dallas. And then I seen where Chad Skelly, he was asking for a fight in Dallas as well. So I told him, hey, look, Chad Skelly's trying to fight in Dallas. I'm trying to fight in Dallas. Y'all hook it up, you know. And then next thing you know, we were fighting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, so you said, you you know, you don't get a lot of chance to have a lot of fans at your fight. You, are you expecting a, a load of your hometown support uh going nuts for you when you, you walk through that gate in dallas oh yeah i've uh i bought about 50 tickets myself and uh you know got family and everything payment back or whatever but i've got 50 people coming from my hometown just with me and then on top of that there's probably another 20 or 30 more from my hometown that bought their own tickets then I've got fans from over in Texas, you know, friends and family and stuff in Texas that are also coming as well. So I should have a pretty big crowd in Texas. And I know that, you know, uh, Fort Worth, or somewhere close to Fort Worth is uh, Chad Skelly's hometown, so he'll probably have a little bit bigger crowd than me. But, I mean, I've had maybe five to ten people each of my UFC fights 
So this will be by far my biggest crowd. And, you know, it's basically like I'm fighting at home because, you know, this is the only thing that I've had the opportunity to bring this many people to, you know. Yeah, so it sounds like it is definitely going to be one of the rowdiest fights uh, on the prelim card for this one. Uh, so let, let's talk a little about your training leading up to this. So you train in Mississippi under uh, Alan Belcher, uh, who is a longtime UFC veteran uh, of many, many fights, You know, dating, dating way, way back. What words of wisdom have you gotten from the UFC veteran as you've made this remarkable run in the UFC? Uh, man, it just makes sure that I stay focused and make sure that I, I push myself to, to my limits, you know. He, he always wants me to, you know, stay in the gym as much as I can and improve all aspects of my of my game, you know, not just not just be a one dimensional fighter, you know, just always getting better at everything instead of just getting better at this technique or that technique, you know. What originally got you into uh, to fighting and, and MMA? Uh, you know, Mississippi, not necessarily like a hotbed churning out, you know, tons of black belts in jiu-jitsu or, or MMA fighters. Well, how did you initially get into the sport? Uh, I was 14 years old and, you know, just a, a bad kid that I grew up tough, you know, and anytime somebody looked at me the wrong way or said something out of the way, we were in a street fight and, uh, you know, I was fighting left and right in school and stuff like that. Well, I had a buddy. He's now my brother-in-law. Is a, a guy named Zay Bullock. He's uh, probably about almost 10 years older than me. And uh, he wanted to teach me how to box. You know, so he started teaching me how to throw straight punches. And then, you know, over the course of about three or four months, that turned into MMA training. You know, we uh, started kind of studying everything we've seen on TV and looking at every uh, Eddie Bravo book and every other little book that we could find that had any kind of technique that we could learn. And uh, I was just training in my backyard. Well, uh, Jay Bullock, he went out to this nightclub one night, and uh, they had a guy passing out flyers for a place called The Fight Club in Mobile, Alabama. And he came home with his flyers, like, hey, man, I found this. Uh, you ought to call him up to see if you can fight. So we did. You know, I called him that Monday, told him, hey, look, I'm 14 years old. Can I fight? The guy tells me, I don't give a shit if you're 12. If your mama signed for it, you can come down here and fight. Wow. Well, uh, I signed up, signed up that Monday. I fought that Wednesday night and got my first win. And I stuck with it ever since. Uh, I went uh, I went six and zero as an amateur training out of my backyard. And then around the time I was fifteen, going on sixteen, I had about Allen Dutcher MMA club. I went down there, signed up, and they've molded me into the fighter that I am today. Wow, what a story! I mean, I can already see the Hollywood movie being made about that. The promoter says, "As long as you have your mom's permission, I don't care if you're 12. I love that." Um, yeah. Do you have to leave Mississippi a lot to find training partners? Are you exclusively training in Mississippi? Is it hard to get training partners, or or do you kind of jump around a bit? Uh, no, man, I, I mainly train right there at Allen Dutcher MMA Club. Uh, we've got a ton of smaller weight class guys. You know, 135 to 155 to 170, you know, and all of these guys, they're all up and coming fighters, good uh, training partners for me. They're, you know, none of them are really noticed yet, but we have several UFC fighters in the making at my gym, and it's just, you know, they're like family, and they're, they're good training partners for me because they get in there and they give it their all to make sure that I'm ready for each fight. And, uh, you know, I go out to Phuket Top Team out there in Thailand every now and then and mm. just go out there and have a blast training. Uh, there's a guy out there, his name's Eric Erst. He's one of the best wrestling coaches alive, the, the best I've ever seen. And uh, once I go out there, just go out there and put in some work with him. Boy Clark, he's the owner of the gym. He, he lets me come out there and, and you know, get ready for my training camp. And this fight, I, I was out there my first week of training camp and went ahead and got everything started while I was there. Uh, 
And, you know, I don't mind bouncing around from gym to gym and, you know, spend a week here, spend a week there. But Alan Belcher is definitely going to be my home until this career is over. Awesome. And you love to see that loyalty. Now, you you talked a little bit about wrestling and, and making sure you have, you know, the best wrestling coach. Obviously, Chad Skelly on a hell of a run himself with submissions. Uh, his wrestling tends to be very suffocating to a lot of his opponents. Is this something that you focused on for this fight? Uh, I mean, I have a little, you know, I've, I've maybe put a little more attention to my wrestling. But, you know, like I said before, I'm always trying to improve every aspect of my game. So, you know, my, my game plan and my training camp really hasn't changed much. You know, it's just you train for every fighter. You know, a lot of people train for every fighter different. Well, I train for every fighter the same. I, I get myself ready for anything that they could possibly throw at me. And, you know, once I get in the cage, I go out there and I don't really have a game plan. I just go out there and go with the flow, see how things go. You know, if I, if I want to keep the fight standing, I keep the fight standing. And if I feel that I need to take him to the ground, then I try to get it to the ground. And, you know, if, I, if I'm on the ground and they take me down, if I feel like I can submit them, I try to submit them. If I feel like I need to get up, I work my way up and, you know, just see how it goes while I'm in there, you know. Absolutely. And, I mean, listen, you're on a three-fight win streak. Your last win over Alex Caceres, the way you took the back, sunk in that rear naked choke, it was so impressive. Uh, do you have a prediction for this Saturday? I know you said you you kind of just go with the flow, but w- what are you thinking here in your mind as you face off with Chaz Skelly? Uh, I believe, you know, he's going to come in and try to take me down. He, he's going to want to stand up for a minute, but I believe that I have the superior stand-up and – you know, we'll get out there in the first round, and after I hit him with a few good punches, he's going to start fishing for that takedown. And I believe that I'll be able to stop 97% of the takedowns and dominate the fight standing up. And I don't think it's going to be easy to finish him, so I'm just going to go with the, the fact that I get my hand raised with a hard-fought unanimous decision and hopefully a fight of the night bonus. Boom. Well, there you have it. Uh, Jason, we can't thank you enough for the time. Jason Knight fights Chaz Skelly this Saturday in Dallas at UFC 211 on the FX prelims. Thank you so much, Jason, and best of luck this weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I have a good day, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast. All right, there you have it, Jason Knight. Yeah, I, I really was intrigued by his breakdown because a guy who's a, a BJJ brown belt under Alan Belcher with you know crazy rubber guard game talking about beating a dude on his feet it, it, it's awesome to hear absolutely i'm really looking forward to that fight we're big fans of Chaz skelly on the show obviously he's been on before i love his fighting style but jason knight i was so impressed in that alex caceres fight his jits is on point yeah All i right. couldn't I, I couldn't believe he, he outgrappled him all right, let's move to the prelims here. Real quick, Gumby, they're on UFC Fight Pass at Women's Strawweight, quote-unquote, the main event of Fight Pass. You have Jessica Aguilar versus Courtney Casey. At Featherweight, Jared Gordon versus Mikel Quinones. At Heavyweight, Chase Sherman versus Rashad Coulter. Featherweight offering Gabriel Benitez versus Enrique Barzola. And kicking off the whole show at Light Heavyweight, uh, Joachim Christensen versus, I am going to brutalize this name, Gadzhimarad Antagalov. Antagalov. <laughs> give us a fighter give us a fight we should uh try to check out so i'm gonna give you a, a fight in two fighters uh because i just can't choose uh but, but the fight i really love G- gabriel mogli benitez fighting enrique barzola uh two really good south american prospects who i just don't think uh get enough airtime uh mogli despite you know having being on a uh, kind of a tougher run has some really really impressive fights on his resume i mean he's a guy who went out there and beat Sam Cecilia, um, which, which is, you know, something to be said, he choked him out. Um, the fighters that I'm, I'm definitely interested in is in Tigulov. Uh, just to me, one of the only interesting 205 prospects out there right now, uh, you know, especially now that I, I'm not sure we would call Misha Serkinov a prospect anymore. Yeah, not a prospect anymore. And I do just want to mention Antigolov, the largest uh, favorite on the Fight Pass prelims at minus 375 to Joachim Christensen plus 285. And, and rightly so, because in his only UFC fight, he went out and choked off, uh, I think it was Marcos Hogiero de Lima in like, a, I think it was no more than a minute. It was really, really, really fast stuff. Um, so uh, an absolute 
absolute killer there. The other one who I'm really interested to see is I've seen a lot of stuff about Jared Gordon on the local circuits. He's fought for CFFC for a little while, which is in usually in the Jersey Atlantic metro area there. Um, and, and he's 11 and one with some wins over some really impressive guys like Anthony Morrison and Dawood Pickney, um, who are good local prospects. His only loss came by injury to Jeff Lentz. Um, who's Nick Lenz's brother. Uh, so really, really, really impressive career for him. Uh, a lot of finishes in a lot of different ways. Super exciting to watch. Um, and one of the most athletic featherweight prospects you've seen. All right. Well, that is UFC 211. And we are Top Turtle MMA podcast on Flow Combat. If you want to reach out to the show, you can reach us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Or if you want to write us some love mail or hate mail, we're accepting both currently. We could be re- reached MMA at gmail.com. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We're out for now. We'll be back next week. Hope you enjoyed the show.